Well, if you would, remain standing for the reading of God's Word and turn to Matthew. We are going to be in the book of Matthew this morning. Matthew chapter 27. And just so you're not standing for a long period of time, I'm just going to read verses 27 through 31. You can find this on a pew Bible, page 834. Page 834. Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. They stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hell, King of the Jews! They spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. When they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put on his clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Please be seated. So the Lord made a promise in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And that promise was that of a Savior. That everything that had gone wrong, that the Lord would make right. And through the history of the Old Testament, we have shadows preparing and pointing to the coming Messiah. After 450 years of silence, we have the birth or the origins of the promised Savior. The child was conceived by the promised Holy Spirit. The child was born of the Virgin Mary. The child was named Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And for us in this room who have been saved, we belong to Christ. We are his. He has redeemed us. He has purchased us. We fully belong to Jesus Christ, the one that we've come to celebrate. He has washed away our sins fully. The price has been completely paid. He has purchased us, and we will be with him, and our faith will one day be sight. You know, the coming of Christ is the greatest historical birth in all of history. That God gave a promise, that promise has come. And today we look at the promise that has been kept. For the promise was not just that a Savior would come, but that He would redeem, He would rescue, and make everything that had gone wrong right. That the good news of Jesus Christ is the greatest news in all the world. And as Christians, I really want you to ponder and to think about that. If Jesus Christ, if the good news of Christ is truly the greatest news in all the world, doesn't that mean that our lives should reflect that? That our life should reflect that Christ has purchased us, that Christ has redeemed us, that truly good news, it would be good news in our life. So in the study of history, in the study of God's word, in the study of our life, we find the provision of God. That God constantly, constantly, constantly provides. The Lord had provided everything for Satan. 
Satan, he wanted to be God, and he was cast down. The Lord had provided everything for Eve, but she desired and focused upon what was prohibited. The Lord provided everything for Adam, but Adam listened to Eve. He did not listen to the Lord. The Lord had provided everything for everyone after the fall, but the majority after the fall lived for themselves, and yet the Lord provides salvation for Noah and his family on the ark. After the flood, the Lord provided everything for everyone, and they forgot about him. They desired to make a name for themselves, and they forgot the name of Yahweh. And after the Tower of Babel, the Lord chose Abram, and he kept his promise to him. In Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now Yahweh said to Abram, Go from your country, from your kindred, from your father's house, to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So failure after failure of mankind. Provision after provision from the Lord. Promises forgotten by man. Promises kept by God. Genesis 3.15. The first gospel was given, the Proto-Evangelion. And then in Matthew 1, the the promise arrives. In today's verses, they describe the huge promise that God kept. And so, for a brief moment, I want to take a look at the life of Jesus Christ, a Savior who was fully man and fully God. This is going to be a fast look, primarily out of the Gospel of Matthew. So after the birth of Christ, shepherds and wise men worshipped him as a child. You and I drive by through neighborhoods even now. I can't go to my house without seeing a manger scene on display in front of someone's yard. The fact that that really wasn't a silent night. The fact that a baby came. The fact that immediately God sent people and angels to worship that child because that child was not just fully man. That child was also fully God. So after his birth, shepherds and wise men worshipped the Lord. Herod tried to kill him. Jesus grew up. In Luke 2.52 we hear, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. Matthew chapter 3, verse 15. At his baptism, God the Father spoke, declaring, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. In Matthew 4, Jesus is tempted, and his responses to Satan are responses that he lived by and modeled during his earthly ministry. The man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. That you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. That you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Jesus calls and trains the twelve. He tells them to lay up treasures in heaven. He cleanses and heals many. He teaches the followers that they will be persecuted by men, but to have no fear because man cannot kill the soul and they should fear him who can destroy both body and soul. That Jesus is the chosen servant 
told about in Isaiah chapter 42. In Matthew 12, we find the quoting of Isaiah, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to the victory, and the name the Gentiles will hope. So Jesus declared also that a tree is known by its fruit. Look for a generation and for a nation that proclaims we believe in God. Let us keep that in mind. Jesus declared that a tree is known by its fruit. What fruit are we producing if we claim to be followers of Christ? The Pharisees demand a sign, and Jesus declares that the sign that they will get is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Matthew 12, verse 40, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jesus teaches the parable of the sower, explaining the outcomes of hearing the word of God, and the one who is truly saved, that the saved man or woman will produce fruit for the glory of God because the Holy Spirit will see to it once that person has been redeemed. Jesus teaches the parable of the weeds, explaining that the righteous and the wicked will receive what is coming to them. Many individuals, they gather together and they hear what is known as the Charlie Brown gospel. They hear the good news of Christ and they hear nothing of their sin. Later on in life, the author of Charlie Brown, he denied Christ. He denied everything about the Lord. How important it is for us as God's children to remember that we not only talk about the birth of the Savior, but we remember why the Savior came. To give his life as a ransom for many because we had turned our back on the Lord. We had done everything the Lord told us not to do. We chose to do what is right in our own eyes, forgetting the commands of God. So he teaches the value of the kingdom of heaven, that it is of greatest value. And especially during this month in December, when people's wallets are being opened all the time, we must ask ourselves, what is our greatest value? Is it truly the kingdom of heaven? People are following Christ. He feeds the 5,000. Jesus walks on water. Jesus heals the sick. He feeds the 4,000. Jesus taught what it means to follow him. In Matthew 16, Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he forfeits his soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels and the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. So it is the souls of people that we as Christians are to be concerned about. The destination of each soul. Peter, James, and John, they witnessed the transfiguration of Christ in Matthew 17. 
that Jesus has power over demons, that Jesus teaches on the importance of church discipline out of Matthew 18. In Matthew 20, Jesus teaches on laboring for him after he has chosen us, that we are to serve as Christ served, remembering that he is the suffering servant who has purchased us. Three times, Jesus foretells his death and his resurrection. And Jesus taught that the greatest is the one who serves. Matthew 20, verse 26. It shall not be so among you. Imagine that you're walking along a road and Christ Christ is with you and you enter into a debate, into an argument with the disciples. And what is it that you're talking about? Man, I think I'm better than you. Oh, really? You know what I think? I'm better than you. And you have the Savior of the world, either in front of you or behind you. And then he, he pokes his head in. He's like, hey, what are you talking about? Who the greatest is? Wow. Out of all the things that Jesus could have said, but whoever will be among you must be your servant. Whoever will be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came to be served, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Later on, Jesus enters Jerusalem. He cleanses the temple. He gives the parable, the wedding feast. He proclaims the great commandment. He talks about the signs of the end of the age. He talks about his second coming. He calls his children to be ready and instructs them concerning the final judgment. A plot is made to kill Jesus. Judas betrays Jesus. Institution of the Lord's Supper is given. Jesus is arrested. Peter denies Jesus three times as Jesus promised. And Peter said, I will not do it. And he did. Judas hangs himself. Jesus is scourged. He is mocked. He is spit upon. And he is led away to be crucified. Now we can look at Matthew chapter 27. Beginning in verse 32. We talk about a promise that is kept. So as they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. So the sinless, spotless Lamb of God was being led to his own slaughter. And yet he came to do just that, to lay down his life. The one whom no one could find any guilt after all these charges were brought. And as Jesus was walking, carrying his cross to his own death, being mocked by the soldiers, barely able to move because he had just been scourged, his back being ripped open, he physically struggled to drag what is thought to be a hundred pound crossbeam. Because of this fact, they found a man, Simon of Cyrene, to carry it for him. They arrive at Golgotha, or the place of the skull. The Latin word is Calvary. 
Golgotha was located outside the city gates among the main highway for all to see. It was a place in which they were literally declaring to everybody else, we want you to come and see who has been crucified this day. Today, many people believe this place is known as Gordon's Calvary, just north of Jerusalem walls. The hill itself resembles a human skull. So upon arrival, the vertical beam would have already been placed in the ground. And when Jesus arrived, they would have laid the horizontal beam on the ground. They would have put Jesus on top of that beam. And they would have nailed him to it. These nails were approximately five to seven inches long, resembling the modern day railroad spike. And it wasn't sharp, it was dull. One nail would have been hammered through each wrist. And once a cross was completely attached, the individual had a small platform for the feet at the bottom of the cross. And with the legs of the feet pushed up, a single spike was driven through both feet. This was done so that the individual had to push up on their legs for the purpose of raising their diaphragm so they could breathe. This prolonged an individual's death And the result, most people did not die from being crucified. Most people slowly died because of suffocation. The pain of the cross was ongoing. The nails would have torn through nerves, causing conscious bolts of pain to go through arms and legs. It was typical to see people who were crucified. Nausea, fever, intense thirst, hunger, Those were just some of the well-known side effects that people who walked by, people who watched could see. And historical evidence also suggests that at this time that when Christ was crucified, Rome had already crucified 30,000 individuals in Israel alone. In other words, the soldiers who did this, they were professionals. They knew exactly what they were doing. They were experts They knew how to keep people alive, and they recognized the signs and the closeness of death. During this time, Psalm 22 was fulfilled by Christ. Psalm 22, verse 7, All who see see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Verses 12 through 18, Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a post-shirt, and the tongue sticks to the jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. This is exactly what Jesus Christ experienced. Matthew 27, verse 37. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. This was meant as an insult. But the chief priests, they tried to get two words. He said, added to the sign that would have made it. He said, I am king of the Jews. But it didn't change. Because Jesus Christ is king of the Jews. These words were absolutely true. For Jesus Christ is king of all. 
Whether you believe it or not, Christ is king. To the right of Christ, to the left of Christ, where two other individuals have been crucified, two thieves. Look at verse 39. Those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who will destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He thrust in God. Let him deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. So they yelled at Christ, Save yourself. They said to Jesus, But Jesus was there to save sinners. He didn't need to be saved, for he was salvation. He was the sacrifice. He was the living water that they needed. He was what needed to be poured out. His blood needed to be spilt. He needed to be crucified. There needed to be a payment for sin. Jesus was nailed to the cross, and the depravity of man continued. They began hurling insults at him, yet he opened not his mouth, once again fulfilling scripture. The two robbers hanging next to him, they also hurled insults. But even still, one of the crucified robbers' eyes were opened on the cross, and he was redeemed. Verse 45. Now after the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. So imagine it's during the day. And then Jesus has been crucified. You are standing there and the sun is brightly shining and all of a sudden it goes away. Then Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabetani, which is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing this said, this man is calling Elijah. They thought he was calling after Elijah because he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabetani. One of them once ran and took the sponge, filled it with sour wine. They put it on the reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Jesus once again fulfilled scripture. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Christ did not sin with these words. You must believe this. So many people have said, this is the point where Jesus Christ messed up. This is the point where Jesus Christ sinned. No, he did not. He was experiencing the full cup of God's wrath. Just lay aside all the physical things that happened to Christ. What he was experiencing was the full cup of God's wrath being drunk at this point. The Lord had prayed in the garden in Matthew 26, verse 39. My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, not as I will, but as you will. So what man was doing to the Son of God was not the worst part. The worst part was the cup that Christ was drinking. That Jesus Christ was paying for the sins of many. He was paying for them completely. All the past sins, all the present sins, all the future sins. He was paying for the price because Jesus Christ was becoming a curse for us. That the Father was pouring out His wrath on His Son and not His children. He was paying the once and for all sacrifice for sin. Verse 46. 
And then you get to verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielding up his spirit. That Jesus freely laid down his life. He yielded up his spirit. Nobody made him yield his spirit. He yielded his spirit. Man did not take the spirit from him. In John 10, it says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay down it on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. John put it this way in John 19.30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. It is finished. What was finished? Hebrews 9. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good news that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. So by means of his own blood, Jesus Christ secured eternal redemption for his children. That is what has been finished. Jesus Christ has eternally redeemed his children for all time. So Christ yielded up his spirit. It is finished. So the promise of Genesis 3 verse 15 has been kept. It is fulfilled. So in December, the time when we come together and we celebrate Christmas, we are not talking about a promise that has not come. We are talking about a promise that has been come. We are not hoping in something that I hope comes to pass. We are hoping in something that has already happened. The promise has been kept. The promise has been made. That there is a Savior. It is fully fulfilled. That Christ paid it all. Look at verse 51. So imagine everything that has just happened. Matthew is recording what has just happened. The sun has just gone to dark. Christ has just said, it is finished. Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened. Many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection. And they went to the holy city and appeared to many. So imagine in the last few months you had been to a few funerals. You were saints. Everything had just gone on and then all of a sudden you see those people that had already been dead and buried rise from the dead and they appeared to many. Yeah, the curtains have been torn from top to bottom. As a sign that this is what the Lord has done. I'm through with this. You're through with this human temple. You are through walking in here having to separate it. It's been fulfilled. It is finished. Christ has accomplished it all. So God ripped the curtain from top to bottom. That Christ is the Messiah. The mediator between God and man. That Jesus is a temple. Tombs were opened. Saints were raised. Gentile soldiers even made a confession saying, this, truly, this was the Son of God. 
Verse 57, Jesus was buried. When it was the evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen shroud, laid it in the open of the new tomb, and he had cut in the rock. He rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. So imagine, you're coming before the individuals who are responsible for overseeing everything, and you come, hey, we remember the words of that imposter, the one that died? We remember that imposter saying, in three days he will rise. It was, it was foretold. Jesus told of his death and his resurrection multiple times. Even his enemies knew about it. That Jesus was dead and he was buried. So after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day lest his disciples go go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead and the last fraud will be worse than the first. So Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. So Jesus was dead. Jesus was buried. He was placed in a tomb and the tomb was blocked by a great stone And it was secure with a guard of soldiers. Matthew 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now you have to read into this, but you have to understand. Why were Mary and Mary going to the tomb? Their friend, the one they had walked with, lived with, spent time with, was dead. They're going to the tomb so his body won't stink. They're going to take care of the vessel that was once there. As they're going, behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow, and for fear of him the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. See, all the aspects, all the words, all the teachings that Jesus said to his people, all the things that his enemies heard, all that God in heaven did during that time, all the physical things, the earthquake, the sun going to dark, the rising of the dead bodies appearing to many, the temple in the temple with the curtain, the curtain 
being torn from top to bottom, it was clear that the Lord was at work. And it was Sunday. It was the Lord's day. And Christ was not in the tomb, dead. He had risen from the dead. So from this point forward, this truth that Christ has risen, we find the early church gathering on this day to worship Him just like us. And we think thousands of years later since then. This is what, this is what blows my mind every time I think about the love of God. When I think about his special love that he has for his bride, and I think about the fact that you and I continue to sin each and every day, and year after year after year after year, how patient the Lord is with us, how patient the Lord is with the United States, how patient the Lord is with our country, with the rest of the world, and the fact that thousands of years later, the Lord is still building his church. So Mary and Mary, they go to the tomb, and to their horror, they encounter an angel. So many people speak of angels as if it's something so precious. Mary and Mary, it's, it's like as if they were dead people after they saw the angel. It's like they fainted, and they had to get help getting up. They were fearful. They were terrified. And the angel's appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow, the holiness, the purity of it. And the angel of the Lord speaks. Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen as he said. It's almost as if he's putting in there, it's like, hey, you know that Jesus taught this, so why have you come to a tomb that you know is going to be empty because he fulfills every promise that he makes? He is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So you seek Jesus who is crucified. He's not here. He is risen like he said. Come, see where he lay. Now, go and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead. Go and you will see him along the way. Verse 8. So he departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. Those words bring comfort to my heart. They do. They were still fearful because they're still blown away their physical aspect of the fact that they had just seen an angel. The angel knew everything about them. The angel knew why he was there and everything was going on. And they had just fainted and trembled like dead men. But they leave there with fear and great joy because it was true. Everything that Jesus said is completely true. It was starting to make all the sense. It's not that they disbelieved anything Jesus said. It's the fact that what this angel just said, they just connected all the dots. All the dots have been just connected. Goodness gracious, Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. He is the Messiah. He has risen like he said he would. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. They ran to tell the disciples, and behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. So it's been three days. You haven't seen your Savior. And the last time you saw him, he was nailed to a cross, blood streaming down. He'd just been beaten and scourged. Crown of thorns had just been crammed down on his head. He was dead and he was buried. And they just now saw the man who is standing well before them in, their, in his glorified body. And he says, greetings. Great joy because 
Jesus Christ is alive. Great joy for the man that they loved and followed is alive. And they just heard greetings come out of his mouth. So Mary and Mary respond correctly. They fall to the ground, they grab his feet, and they worship him. As they were running to go tell the disciples this great news, Jesus met them. And they worshiped him. A promise was made by God, and God has kept his promise. And I know that as individuals who easily forget things, I'm speaking of myself and most likely you, we are forgetful people. Remember this, every single promise that God has made in his holy word is yes and amen. Every promise will come to pass. So all the news media outlets that you're hearing, all the corruption that you hear about in the world, make no mistake, God is growing his church. He is growing his kingdom. We are so hard-headed that God is using everything throughout all of history to conform his people whom Jesus has saved, is saving, will save into his image. Verse 11, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went to the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell the people this. His disciples came by night and they stole away his body while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. What they were saying is, hey, we're going to pay you off, but if the governor finds out about this, We're going to do everything we can because if you fell asleep on your job and and someone escaped, you should be killed. But we're going to give you this money just in case, okay? But if it makes it to the governor's ears and we can't do anything about it beyond that, you're on your own. But we're going to pay you off. So they took the money, did as they were directed, and the story has been spread among the Jews to this day. So Christ had risen, the chief priests pay off the soldiers with a large sum of money so that they would lie. The lie tell people this, that his disciples came by night and stole him away while he was asleep. This lie continues to be told and is twisted to fit man's wicked mind and heart. You know, our society and country continues to ignore the Lord on many different areas, many different fronts, intolerant of the Lord and His Word, doing what is right in their own eyes, elevating self and what we call advances of the mind. But yet, the child Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. The child Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. This child grew up, lived a perfect life, and freely laid down his life on the cross for many. That Jesus Christ is the promise of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. That Jesus is the only payment for sin. The Lord has kept his promise. And these truths are to be more than just head knowledge in our life. As Mary and Mary fell at the feet of Jesus and worshipped Him, you and I are to do the same. We don't come in here saying, I have the perfect theology, I have everything figured out, I've got all this stuff memorized, I know the commands of God, and we don't worship Him. These truths are to be more than head knowledge. 
This truth that God has revealed to us is to move into our hearts and we are to worship Him with every area of our life. The fact that you and I are not professionals, we have not figured everything out, that we are still a work in progress because the Lord is sanctifying us until one day we have a body like our Savior, a glorified body. So this truth that we express at Christmas, the love that that we fact that God has sent a Savior, He has provided a Savior for us, He has paid that price. That price means something, not just in our head, but in our hearts. And it should mean something in our life and how we live. So we praise Him and we rest in His finished work. That Christ has been raised, therefore you and I will be raised. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For as by a man came death, by man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So if we have been born again in this room, we are to swim in the sufficient grace of God. We swim in it. You can't go out far enough. You can't go deep enough. We swim in His grace, learning more about the Lord, abiding in His Word, spending more time praying to Him, talking to Him, trying to find full contentment and satisfaction. For satisfaction and contentment are only found in Jesus Christ. That if we have been born again, we are to swim in His sufficient grace. That the good news of Jesus Christ changes everything, and His grace is continuing to change everything. The fact in our life that Christ hasn't returned this past year, out of everything that's been going on, how He's been ruling over all things, think about what was going on in your life Last year, that the Lord has sanctified you and He has given you another year to swim in His grace. That justification has occurred. That in Christ, His perfect love, He is conforming us more into His image. Thinking upon this, when we think upon the cross, We sometimes think of it as jewelry and things that we hang up different places. But when we look at that cross, we realize that you and I are not good because us dying on a cross would do no good. We are not good, but God gave a promise, and Jesus Christ is the promise that saves. Do you believe in this Christ? Do you trust in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for your salvation? Have you been washed in the blood of Christ? Are you white as snow? Or are your sins still shown to the Lord that you are a dead person walking? I don't know if you saw the pictures yesterday from CNN. But our country has been hit with tragedy after tragedy of storms blowing through. People waking up in the middle of the night, they have lost everything. Their house, their possessions, neighbors, friends, loved ones. We deserve 
much more than that. You may be thinking, I have time to make everything right. You don't know what time you have. Scripture says, you who boast about tomorrow, you are a fool, for you do not know what tomorrow will bring. I'm telling you right now, not as a pastor, as a child of God, Christ is all that you need. He is sufficient for all things. Christ is supreme. Maybe you're young. Maybe you're old. The older you get, the more you realize this world has nothing for you. The younger you are, you think you want to live for this or that. And when you get older, you realize there's nothing worth living for except Christ. Christ is everything. Have you been washed in the blood of Christ? Christ is all that we need. We are commanded in Scripture to repent and believe. It is a command. It's not an opinion. It's not an option. He says you must commit, repent, and believe in Christ alone. Because a day of judgment is coming. If I didn't love you because I love you, I'm telling you a day of judgment is coming. So if you are a Christian, you are to praise Him. Look at what He has done. When you see a manger, know that it has been finished. When you see the cross, know that it has been finished. But also remember that it has been finished in your life, that Christ has redeemed you by His blood, and He is coming again, that nothing can snatch you out of His hands. We have so much hope, sufficient hope, supreme hope in Christ. We have everything that we need. The world can take away everything, can kill us, but nothing can snatch our soul from the Lord. So Christian, praise Him. If you call Him Lord, do what He has commanded, for it is good. He has fully paid the price. He has brought us into a family. He has given us gifts and equipped us to live for Him that Christ is everything. But if you are not His this morning, if you have not repented of your sins, if you not put your faith, hope, and trust in Christ, in Christ alone, you can do this today. Turn from your sins. Turn towards Christ. Call on Christ for salvation. And know this. Just because you say a certain word or you do a certain thing, that doesn't mean you're saved. Jesus said a tree is known by its fruit. If saved, always saved. How important that is. That you and I as brothers and sisters, we have the good news of Jesus Christ. Next week, we're going to be discussing only justification. We're going to be looking at the New Testament and understanding The biblical doctrine of justification that in Christ alone you and I have been saved. Christ alone we have been redeemed. Jesus plus nothing is everything. So we're focusing on justification. Then after that, we're going to be focusing strictly on what we do with this good news. I'm sad to report that 95% of Christians never, ever, ever share the good news of Jesus Christ, not even with their families. We have been commanded by God. 
We have been saved by God. He has given us the gospel to proclaim. He has brought us into a family, given us people who has equipped us and to encourage us and spur this on. And this good news that we talk about, the good news that we say that we love, we also have been said, I want you to go out as disciples did and preach the word, preach the good news of Jesus Christ so that other people will be saved. Now think about that and think about the kingdom that you have in your life. Are you building up the kingdom of God or are you building up your own kingdom that will fade and never last? So when we talk about Christmas, when we talk about what Christ has done, we are to fully bathe in the grace and the mercy of Christ and realize that Christ is everything Everything under the tree, all the gifts, all the presents, you can't even compare that to Christ. Not even close. Don't even put it in the same room. Don't even put it in the same sentence. Don't even think about it. Christ is everything. So the songs that we just sang, the song that we're going to sing, thinking about all glory be to Christ, think about the areas in your life in which you are not glorifying the Lord. If you have been washed in the blood of Christ, we are to live every area for him, for he has paid for it all. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your holy word. Your grace is sufficient. You alone are worthy to be praised, not just here and now. You are worthy to be praised for lifetime after lifetime after lifetime. In heaven, we are only going to praise your name continually. You are worthy of it all. We did not deserve to be saved. We did not deserve to hear a promise of a Savior. You did not, we did not deserve to see failure after failure of our own life and promise after promise from you. How good you are. Father, increase our love for you. Increase our obedience to you and increase it all for your glory and for your name. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.